0: Hello, Uh, good morning to all my listeners in the United States, and good afternoon and good evening to the other parts of the world. Welcome to another podcast episode for my channel, Data Science with Sam. Uh, Today's discussion topic is uh, growing footprints of technology in insurance sector. Uh, some of us who worked in the insurance industry for a long time have witnessed that how digital transformation uh, made a very played a very pivotal role to change the paradigm of the insurance industry. Whether it's an advent of big data or it's a growing popularity of the tech concept, we've seen how technology revolutionized the, the risk assessment platform, modernized some of the infrastructural and technology area. Relates to you know different risk businesses. To that purpose, I joined by an esteemed guest from insurance industry, and industry veteran, Nick Blamer, to discuss more about this topic. Nick, welcome to the session. I'm very happy to have you here.
1: Well, thanks to be here. Um, I am. You know, we've known each other a long time, and uh, it's great to see how you know things have changed and evolved both from a tech technology side and in both of our careers, so i um, very happy to be here.
0: Thanks, Nick. Uh, just for my listeners' benefit, would you like to please uh, talk a little bit about yourself just for introductory purpose? I'm pretty sure my listeners would love to know about your professional experience and uh, your recent endeavors in the insurance sectors.
1: Great, so uh, like I said, I'm Nick Limer. I'm currently the Senior Technology Director at Coherent, uh, a global technology company with offices globally, but primarily based in New York at this point. Um started out my career in insurance a very long time ago uh, in, in the late 90s, uh, working for a software consulting uh, company and developing software as an actuarial student, um, and then went from that to a couple other consulting companies. Then worked for uh, a couple large insurance com- a reinsurer and then a, a couple large re- uh, insurance companies, and then the sort of whole sort of insurance technology area. I've been bouncing back before the actuarial side and tech side, and then I was at Microsoft on the obviously on the tech side, uh, and now I'm in a uh, a company that's delivering actuarial software, well range of software primarily to actuarial uh, users, but to really anyone in the industry that uses excel so that's what i'm doing now
0: uh, that's great to know and who doesn't love excel <laughs> works in the insurance sector everybody right so yeah we're looking forward to see how Claim next company it actually revolutionized the, some of the excel practices which is kind of a very uh, day-to-day you know like tool that actuaries or other risk officers and any business users even the tech People also use for their daily work, so we are excited to see what kind of uh, products that Nick's company would come up with on that. Having said that, I'm going to actually um, dive down to our first question for this, uh, you know, podcast session. Um, so, Nick, in your opinion, how did technology change the paradigm of insurance industry and risk pr- practices in general, especially in the last couple of decades, like you know, the beginning of uh, from the beginning of 21st century?
1: Yeah, great. So that's kind of where I sort of jumped into this whole insurance space. And my sort of that first uh, late 90s, just as we moved forward uh, into the early uh, 2000s, uh, the company I was working for, their big selling point was they could take processes that were running on mainframes that were taking weeks to do, and they could do them in, in hours on people's desktops. So taking this old technology and... Moving the calculations to uh, your desktop, where you could manage it and control it all on your desktop, and then the sort of the next wave after we've got again empowering the end the business user to uh, control their work on, from their desktop and and then connect to your IT. So there's there's a pattern that keeps seems to keep repeating, and then on the next sort of phase was okay, let's take that the next step, let's take everything to the cloud, and then you still have uh, IT team moving things to the cloud, make it faster and cheaper um, and be very scalable. So that's that's a uh, wave from a few years ago. And now we're moving things. The next kind of big wave is really implementing APIs everywhere. Um, but the problem with APIs is people have to build them. So um, so that's one of the things that I'm really excited about the company I'm with now and why I moved there from Microsoft Um so again, there were a couple key things that really I took away one a time at Microsoft, and it kind of goes to their um, so to their uh, their core motto for the company is empowering people globally to do more. I was like, okay. and And the other thing that I thought was really important, there was also a requirement for all Microsoft employees was use the work of others. So I was like, okay, how do we put those two things together? Plus, they have this great product, you've already mentioned, Excel. Excel is the world's largest development platform. So it's really, right. if you think about it, it's really an IDE. It's a first-generation uh,
0: analytics tool, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's, well, and people go, oh, Excel's bad. It, uh, Excel does have its problems, but so many people know how to use it. We can, you know, and that's great. If you use the, you know, Coherent Spark, which is the company I work for, um, their tool takes an Excel spreadsheet, you just have to identify what the inputs and the outputs are and drop it into Spark, which is the application. And it generates APIs that are version controlled, auditable, um, and can run a thousand up to a thousand times faster and scalable. So it's from a technology paradigm shift, you're taking what everyone's using. So empowering everybody on the globe, because there's, you know, a couple hundred million uh uh, Excel users out there, we can take their work they already did. They're already their IP. They've already invested in Excel, and now we're adding the scalability, control, and power of the cloud to really liberate them to do whatever they want. So they're you know generating these APIs, which then can plug into whatever upstream or downstream it doesn't matter. Um, but it's really that key: we're empowering those business people to take their ideas in, from Excel and then use them everywhere over and over again. Um, that's the one I talk about APIs. some people, oh, what's that? Just think about it as Legos. You've got a Lego. You know, I could build buildings with Legos, I could connect multiple things together, I can reuse that same function that calculation over and over and over and over again. But now I can can build and control that API from Excel. So that's the real what's got me super excited about what I'm doing now.
0: Well, that's really good. I mean, great to know. And Again, the API is kind of like, I would say, a revolutionary technology concept. Because it's not only like it helped us to integrate a platform with others, it also brings a lot of like uh, efficiency and scalability from, you know, whether moving some legacy platform to cloud or even like, you know, uh, just building a product that you can literally access from desktop and by harnessing the power of like, you know, computing stuff. So, API has been a very revolutionary. And I mean, we saw that in recent days when the Chat GPT came out, people kind of like started using OpenAI API and like people are just starting building, start building products and it was not possible for people to like building this product if API concept was not there so I mean great to know that and Um, Just for my listeners, whoever are interested to take a look at the Coherent Sparks product, which um, Anik just demonstrated, please feel free to reach out to him. It seems like a very great product. And as long as the insurance sector is still there, Microsoft Excel will still be there. You know, like it's still a 5,000 data to which people love to use. It doesn't matter whether we will use Power BI, Tableau, or any other data analytics, data visualization tool in future. But we I don't think so the importance of... Microsoft Excel will fade away in the near future. It will still be there.
1: Exactly. And I think even all the power tools can be connected. So all the Power Apps, Power Flow, (laughs) Power whatever Microsoft is putting out there, um, they can be easily connected through Excel and through Spark. We have connectors for Tableau and for um, all the different power tools as well. So you can still take that technology, that business logic you've got embedded in Excel, and that's you own by the business unit. Now use it over and over again without having to worry about it getting broken. Uh, then people can use it for the exact same tool used for a Power BI report as what's going into, um, you know, SAP or uh, you know any mainframe system or core system that can connect to an API. So it's it's that power to have that managed by the business unit. And from a as an old IT guy, being able to push that pain point to the business is like well because always that this is the spec i want you to build and i want you to make it exactly like this excel spreadsheet and now we can say well you you own that you own the business logic and just give us the apis and we'll connect all the plumbing and then we can promote it to production and it's it's not the back and forth that all those arguments and discussions about oh i want you to do this i want to make this Great, you own it, you make that change in in Excel, you test it in Excel, you're happy with it, create the API and then we'll cl- plug everything in. So it's, and then they can use it for all sorts of things, anything from productions, it's uh, something like valuation to projections, to you know, valuations, I already said that, uh, to underwriting or sales or whatever. If they have the same calculation, they could reuse it over and over again I mean, that's the power of APIs, is you can reuse that bit of information that's now encapsulated in API everywhere.
0: You know, I mean, that's great to know, because obviously, as you mentioned um, quite eloquently, right, it's going to actually eliminate those business requirement phase that you don't have to go back and forth between business and IT to understand what kind of API or kind of front-end design they need. Uh, all they need that they can Take the ownership of designing or anything, whatever they want. IT is just going to take care of just plugging the API into the underlying or like backend systems. So its, it's uh, I, I would say it's a great concept. It's gonna definitely eliminate some of the obstacles or like those uh, you know those meetings, those scrum calls, and it's it just like literally gonna be like each party will own their controls and they just gonna like communicate together uh, using the API. So it seems like a very futuristic approach to me and it's going to eliminate a lot of <clears throat> conversational uh, obstacle in the future. So thanks Nick for I think it's a really uh, good uh, segue to you know that'll going to bring me to my next question uh, which is something I'm very kind of like uh, interested to know like um, because we have seen that uh, <clears throat> that there are so many technical tools that currently we use in our, you know, actual or, you know, valuation or pricing world. Like Excel is obviously one of the main tools that everybody mm. uses. Kind of like a very universal tool everybody uses. Uh, but apart from that, uh, what do you, re- you know, do you think that there are some other technical, like essential technical set that uh, an actuary or even an underwriter or any risk manager should acquire other than, you know, having their, you know, getting their hands dirty on doing Excel work. Is there any other technical toolkits that you would recommend them to like use for their day jobs?
1: Yeah, no, I think um, you know I see a lot of people using R and Python and SQL, um, and there's <clears throat> so many more that come down the pipe that are just really variations on some of those. So if you're comfortable working in R or in Python and you understand some of the concepts and writing SQL queries and that process, that can get you so much farther. But it seems every few months there's well, on every few months every six months or so there's like a new, the programming language we have to work in or uh, some variation in the whole sort of low code no code space, which tends to be neither low code or no code. It's just a, a little bit different structure. But if you understand, you know how basic programming works, um, and understand a little bit of okay, this is this makes sense. This is a kind of an architectural structure then that can really help going forward. Um, and, and yeah, cause every time I keep running into those low code, no code, and I start playing around like, okay, this is, I could have done this so much simpler if I did it, even in something like C or C++, um, but that scares a lot of people. So they think the low code is actually less frightening, but uh, I think that's where it's critical for people to have sort of a basic understanding um, of some of the traditional programming languages to start with, and then um, keep your eyes open to look at what's out there. It's um, I know for me, and if you look at the insurance industry, a lot of the changes that are happening in the insurance industry now happen in other insurance, other industries, you know, previously. So if you kind of look at some of the side industries in financial services or manufacturing. Um, whatever, these other technologies that eventually roll into um, into the insurance industry. Um, again, it comes down to uh, for insurance, it's doing those calculations even faster and better, and then understanding risk. So that's that's where I think a lot of things going forward will, you know come to, to you know, both using AI and maybe IOT devices to really understand different types of risks. Uh, for what's being insured by insurance companies going forward.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> no, <clears throat> no, that's a really great point because uh, as you mentioned that it's it's uh it doesn't matter you know how many tools we use whether it's a low code versus no code platformer it's still it's better to have a like a fundamental like an understanding about the programming language whether it's c or any object oriented programming language or even just you know getting your like uh, getting some hands-on experience in uh, right you know writing structured query language like sql or oracle other stuff because I feel like um, at some point of time, and I I do embrace this low code and no code that, you know, the dynasty that we're gonna face very soon as everything seems like a product driven right now in the technology space, but, I feel like it's still good to know those fundamental programming language. So if things go wrong, you know, at least, you know, any actuary or least manager or even underwriter could at least write some code and perform the analysis by themselves. They don't have to basically know a programming language in terms of building a web server in you know, a web development or, you know, some like uh, something they need to, I mean, like, like they don't have like acquired skills so like a software engineer uh, from programming language standpoint, but they should know at least a basic like a programming language so they can perform data analysis or some sort of like a due diligence uh, from risk assessment perspective. And R and Python, those are like a very great programming languages. I've seen, I'm a little inclined to R because I've seen a lot of um, applicability of R in the insurance sector than Python, but I feel like Python is more of like a better programming language since it covers a lot of different aspects, which uh, R is still limited to. Um mm-hmm. I'm not a very like a big fan of SAS, but I haven't used it a lot, but I know the SAS has has a great importance, in, especially in the insurance world. Um, so yeah, I mean, like uh, I guess uh, I guess it's it's great to, for people to know some fundamental about programming language. So sometimes they can just uh, and they don't have to rely on low code and no code platform all the time. They can just write a script or uh, do their own analysis without relying on IT or any software engineer all the time. Yeah, so that's that's great. Uh, Thanks, Nick, for your insights on the second question. Uh, That kind of like takes me to the third question, which is more of like a very futuristic and very uh, kind of relevant to what's going on in the outside world with all this chat GPT and the revolution in the space of generative AI. So now obviously it's kind of like a very uh, obvious question in any industry right now that how the AI is going to make an impact Uh, in the insurance sector, like it's been already going on in that other industry. I know in insurance sector, we do have a lot of obstacle in terms of uh, implementing a new technology, for example, we need to keep in mind about the data security and privacy. We need to think about the operational risk, or how we're going to actually uh, comply with the regulation and compliance. Uh, as I know that, you know, like there's some uh, multiple insurance companies, uh, even I guess my company as well, has started, you um, know, started hiring like an AI paralegal person in order to ensure that they will have a, like a framework for AI governance or regulatory compliance. So, it, so in future, if they're going to implement some AI tool, then to then make sure that that will you know comply with all the guidelines before they productionize them so 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 that's uh, given you know, having said that so do you think this uh, impact of uh, generative ai will be a very have a long term impact on uh, insurance sector or is it something like a short term but eventually we were going to get back to our traditional approach of you know, it modernization um, without like uh, involving ai to some extent
1: I, yeah, I think it actually just can be so in everything all the time that we won't even notice it um, because it's already in everything all the time, always. So it's, um, for example, if you look at, you know, Word or really any Microsoft Office products behind the scenes, there's AI that's running all the time. So right. your spell check, it gives you examples of of what the next series of words should be. It corrects your grammar So there's AI processing and everything you do from emails to, you know, to, to, to word documents already. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not like, Oh, well, when will AI impact? No, AI is here everywhere now. It's like, can it do a lot more? Yes. And I think that, I think people are seeing how that whole sort of chat process works. And I think it, it can be really beneficial for things like chatbots and creating blogs right. and generating sort of basic reporting um, from data that's collected elsewhere. Again, to your point that you mentioned, um, you have to have guide rails around it so that you stay legal because <laughs> it's easy for especially for like risk assessments. Um AI is extremely good at figuring out risk scores for individuals or things. Um, But not all of those would be necessarily legal. So it does not sort of have the idea of, okay, we have to sort of risk pool this um, instead of having individualized risk scores for every single person. Um, Again, it'll be interesting to see how those things tie together and where those become really problematic um yeah because again it it's always comes down to the data that flows in but then you have to sort of watch um you know you avoid sort of the, your legal problems of the, you know you didn't all the things you can't uh, use but then it effectively figures that out going forward a good example uh in California on the pnc side you can't make a variation on your insurance rates uh, for PNC products by gender. And historically that's always, you know, been one of the key, you know, age, gender, have always been a key thing on the life side. But if you take that away, it's like, okay. And then you put AI, it it ends up um, finding how they can push gender back into it from other sources of data. So um, then you have to sort of reverse engineer it to take it out of an AI product. when I was at Microsoft, we worked with a couple of different companies that were using AI machine learning um, to generate factors, and then you identified each factor. So the way they got around some of this issue was they built this model that would generate all the different factors that went into their calculations, and they put in the legal, illegal things. So they put in gender or ethnicity, and then they built everything out, and then they took those parts of the model out and let it run. Um so that you identified everything that was tied to gender from an AI perspective, all the data came in. And then at the, at the last step, you took that out of the model. So you could prove that you did not use gender, for example, for the state of California. So you have to almost put it in the model while you're building it and then take it out when you use it. Um, otherwise, it's gonna creep in. It's gonna be hard to prove that you took it out otherwise.
0: No that's that's a very great point because uh you know the I think in uh, <clears throat> in recent days, as we are actually taking a, like a huge leap in the AI world, the model bias is also one of the very like uh, prevalent issues right now. And most of the cases when somebody use train their model using those demographic information, gender, area, ethnicity, it's very imperative that model could be a uh, show some biasness in the accuracy result. So and that's also a very challenging factor. So how we can uh, rely on the you know model result and how we can ensure sure that the model won't uh, showcase or exhibit any biases in that. So that's that's one of the things I guess that will uh, push back a little bit of like a progress of AI, especially in the insurance sector, uh, obviously uh, uh, anybody Uh, whether our pricing team or or whether our underwriters is going to like perform their due diligence in terms of merging or, you know, pricing products, they need to consider that, you know, like uh, they, that nothing would be like a bias towards uh, demographic information. So that's a very uh, important thing, as you mentioned that, because also we need to make sure that all the state laws are, we comply with all the state laws, as you mentioned, you're not allowed to like use any gender or race or ethnicity in your uh, model prediction results. So, so, yeah um yeah i mean like uh, i feel like we are still in a very early stage of um, you know implementing ai governance or anything but i feel like the ai regulation or compliance is necessary before we take any giant leap i know we can do a lot of things with uh, ai i mean like you mentioned that we've already been using ai uh, for in all those microsoft products um i think a couple of days back i was watching a video that uh, somebody uh, find out a way that how uh, you can integrate chat gbt with power bi or Excel which will help you to you know write those formulas so you don't have to run and uh, you know know those formulas so you just kind of like type your like requirement like you know whether you want to do sum or you to minus or aggregate or other stuff and chat with the power of chat gpt the excel will come up with the formula by itself so you don't have to you kind know, of go through like a Google search engine to find out what's the exact tax form, formula for summation aggregation other stuff Stuff. so yeah so in those cases i guess ai could be very beneficial for any like a non-tech person especially in the insurance uh, area so there will be like less learning curve to learn some of the tools but still we are i guess not there yet we still need to consider all these uh, elements of risk uh, before we uh you know take a giant leap in that area
1: yeah no i think it's that example we've obviously in my company we've explored that as well and the key thing is it can be really helpful for somebody who's, you know, want to try out a new or doesn't know how to do something, something you just would Google normally and go, okay, I just, for. need it and this actually helps you effectively do that in the process and put it into your Excel spreadsheet right away. So it really makes it easier for people to use Excel. Um, the key, one of the, I mean, there's still some, you want to be more efficient at it as well Um but that's 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 okay, too. I mean, it gets people, it, again, it goes to that empowering people. It lets people do more easier. So um, I think that could be really useful. Uh, but to productionalize that, you still need to have the control pieces on it and understand some of the risks of using AI. Um, I think it's for great for, like, BI reports. I mean, that's where I think it could be really interesting because you can see one of the things AI is really good at is seeing patterns and conne- interconnections that, May not be as obvious to everybody else, so it's you know you think it's going to be. I should look at these things because that's what's making the biggest difference. But AI can look at everything all the time and go, okay, this is what's really the key point, whether that's what you're trying to prove or not. Um, that's where it can be, I think, really interesting. Um, but you also have to take a take a step back. There's always the just because there's correlation doesn't mean that's really what's important. And yeah. people, I like can see people going, "Oh yeah, it's everybody that's wore, wore green shoes today got hit by a car." It's like, well, yeah, it it's wasn't because like, they wore green yeah, shoes. You don't yeah,
0: jump on the bandwagon, you know, just because others are doing the same thing it doesn't mean,
1: yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so again, it's uh, it started my career actually off as a statistician, so it's like. Uh, I can see the, the power, but I can also see the work can be used incorrectly. So.
0: Oh, that's that's great to And I think that's a great advice because it's just uh, feel like we all kind of like um, just going with the hype, the AI hype, and that's kind of uh, triggered and amplified after this advent of ChatGPT or something. But I guess sometimes it's good to take a step back to understand why you need AI and is it going to make your life better? And also, alleviate some of the operational risk before you take any decision to implement AI for your business practices. Mm-hmm. We do have a lot of other tools out there. We're already harnessing AI power, so it's not like that. Uh, you just need an AI to do everything. <laughs> you know, like there are so many tools and products out there. Like your comp organizations working on the Excel API product. Uh, that's that's. I feel like it's a very. Uh, I would say pivotal product, especially it's going to make a lot of people's life easier in the insurance sector, especially in the day jobs, that so they don't have to like work, um, coherently coherently with the IT people to uh, design some of the stuff. They can and easily have full control on their uh, design spec or business uh, uh, process yeah um so having said that you know like, I guess it's kind of brings me to the end of the you know the discussion but before I, go, I really wanted to uh, ask you that uh, do you have any tips for any like a fresh technology graduates out of like school who would like to pursue their career in the insurance sector? I know you mentioned that you started your career as a statistician before you moved on to the, you know, the tech space. So do you have any tip, you know, tips for the you know, new generation who would like to pursue yeah. their career in the insurance industry?
1: Yeah, I I think I actually had the ability to, while I was working as a statistician, I was trying to learn new things about, insurance seemed like a natural fit, so I was taking actual exams. There's actually a technology thread now that didn't exist uh, when I was taking exams. so there's an easier way with Society of Actuaries on the life side, and then um, the the similar thing on the the PNC side. So there are classes and courses you can take to help you get uh, acquainted with the insurance industry if you're working outside of it. And then from a pure tech perspective, there's so much that's out there for learning new languages or new, everything again, we talked about from low code to R to Python to C, or everything is so much more accessible now with online courses and uh, communities and chat groups that you can be connected to. Um, it's easy to sort of at least get a taste for what's out there. Um, and that way you can still keep your day job and then look at that stuff in the evening and go like, that really interests me or that is not where I want to go. So you don't have to take that big leap into a company and realize this is not the job I wanted. So um, and that's also a good way to network and connect as well. So um, I'm a big user of, of LinkedIn as well. So that's a good way to sort of keep connected. Uh, it's It's a small world. It's amazing how many people I run into that I've worked with before. or We've worked at the same company. I have one friend we've worked at the same company four different times. <laughs> so over the length of my career, like, okay. Yeah. And it's, it's never, we've, we never were hired each other or we just ended up, uh, I, so uh, yeah, in each case, I was there first and he came in after except the last one, the last one he was there and I did was just doing a consulting gig and he was, uh, was an employee there. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a small world, and connections are important. And uh, um, I always like to say this too: it's treat everyone with respect because you're going to run into them again later. So exactly, <laughs> that's it, just how it works. Yeah,
0: true. I mean, definitely. I mean, God, thank great, invi- great advice for the, all the newcomers or whoever listening to this um, session. I'd like to pursue their career in insurance sector is that as Nick mentioned very eloquently that uh, professional networking is very important. And also I wanna mention that uh, since Nick mentioned about the Society of Actuaries, so the Society of Actuaries is a Global Professional Organization for Actuaries. Okay, and if you'd like to know more about Society of Actuaries, uh, please uh, check the uh, caption section. I already uh, shared the link over there. So please take a look at Society of Actuaries and what they usually do uh, to you know, help the actuaries to become a better working professional in the insurance sector. So do check out the link, and if you have any question, feel free to reach out to me or Nick about such a study of- um, so I think that's all for now. So Nick, it is great to have you over here. Thank you for all the information, especially giving a very good viewpoints of all the questions that we covered uh, during this session. Uh, very, uh, I was very pleased to like, you know, have you as a guest for this uh, session. So thank you so much. And I will definitely connect with you next time. And uh, for my viewers, uh, listeners, uh, please stay tuned for the next podcast episode from my channel featuring an academia or industry expert. Thank you and have a great weekend, everyone.